Hello and welcome to Corbett's Comments. I'm Dr. Otis Corbett and I invite you to come along with me as I share biblical exposition and commentary. I truly believe that God's Word is one of our greatest helps as we live for Him in the world today. And so like the psalmist, let us agree to hide His Word in our hearts that we may not sin against Him. Hello, I'm Otis Corbett. Today I want to share a word about the master of his fate as I comment on passages from Luke, Matthew, and John. Let's begin by reading Luke 18:31-34. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things, and this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. We often live in dread of our fate. For example, I received an email from a fellow who told a tale that illustrates this very point. He said, I was sitting in the waiting room of the hospital after my wife had gone into labor. And the nurse walked out and said to the man sitting next to me, Congratulations, sir. You're the new father of twins. The man replied, How about that? I work for the Double Mint Chewing Gum Company. Wow. The man then followed the nurse into his wife's room. About an hour later, the, the same nurse entered the waiting room and, and announced to, the, uh, to Mr. Smith that Mr. Smith's wife had just had triplets. Mr. Smith stood up and said, Well, how do you like that? I work for the 3M company. Then the gentleman that was sitting next to me got up and started to leave. And when I asked him why he was leaving, he said, I think I need a breath of fresh air. You see, I work for 7-Up. Yeah, it's a bad joke, and it's an old joke, but um, in any case, many people are afraid of their fate. And Jesus' human fate was nothing less than gruesome. He was beaten and abused, and He was whipped until His flesh was flayed. He was hung from a Roman cross, which was the means for a cruel, lingering, and horrible death. Who would choose such a fate as this? Jesus. Only Jesus. As we continue to see Jesus as the masterful person that He is, we will see clearly that not only did Jesus allow this fate, but He actually chose it. And we'll begin to see why as we review our first text for today. In this text, Jesus predicted His fate. Jesus came to earth with a purpose. From the beginning of human sin, God had a purpose, and that is to redeem the world. Satan's rebellion and sin had ruined God's perfect creation, and this was something that God could not abide. And so Jesus had to come to redeem a lost, dying, and decaying world. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Therefore, His whole mission was focused on this purpose. And he, as always, was still on task. The disciples, however, probably had their minds on other things. 
They had just come into Jerusalem, many of them for the first time, and now they felt like they were in the big leagues. They had just experienced a triumphal entry, but they didn't know yet how fickle the crowd can be. They were also looking forward to the Passover in Jerusalem, which emotionally would be like attending the Super Bowl today or celebrating Christmas in Bethlehem. Trouble was far, far from their minds. As we see in the passage from Luke, uh, Jesus was focused on His purpose, and He reminded him of this purpose. Now, this was the third time He had done so, and both times before were near in time to an exciting event. The first time was just after Peter's profession of faith in Matthew 16, and the second time was just after the transfiguration in Matthew 1. Each of these, Peter's confession, the transfiguration, and of course the triumphal entry, were important. But they would have been meaningless unless Jesus went all the way. And Jesus, of course, intended to go the distance and do what needed to be done. And not only did He predict His fate, but Jesus attracted His fate. Let's continue by reading Matthew 21, verses 6-10. through 10. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. But ye have made it into a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And they said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise? In Jerusalem, Jesus was a threat to the establishment. You see, he threatened the traditional way of interpreting the Word of God that the Jews had held for maybe centuries. He threatened the power of the Sanhedrin. He threatened the bankrupt fundamentalism of the Pharisees. He threatened the bankrupt liberalism of the Sadducees, and he threatened the security concerns of the Roman, uh, Romans who controlled Judea. Jesus was like a thunderstorm. You couldn't ignore him, and no one could predict where he would go and what he would do next. Now, truthfully, Jesus was no different in Jerusalem than he was in the Galilee or in Samaria. The difference was that in Jerusalem, he brought a disruption to the power structure of that day that they did not expect, nor did they desire. The snobby people of Judah expected there to be disturbances in Galilee. I mean, what would you expect from low-class people like live up there? And likewise, nobody cared much about what happened in Samaria either, because those half-breeds were beneath the notice of the elite. Now, however, like the attack on Pearl Harbor or the attack on 9-11, Jesus brought the threat home, and something had to be done. In response to the threat to their power, the forces of evil were going to strike back. 
They were going to kill this man if it was the last thing they did. Just like when David was caught with Bathsheba, they were caught in their sin, and they were going to cover it up with a murder conspiracy, just like David did. And Jesus, being God, knew exactly what they were doing. So what do you think he did? Let's read John 18.33-38. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is the truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. People have different reactions when they are confronted by their fate. For example, Adolf Hitler committed suicide while Saddam Hussein fled and wound up hiding in a hole in the ground. His sons died in a shootout with the U.S. Army. But others try to plea bargain their way out of trouble. A few will trust in God, like the teenage girl asked by the shooters at Columbine High School, Do you believe in God? When she said yes, she was then shot and killed. All of them, however, would rather be somewhere else doing something else. But not Jesus. He embraced his arrest. He embraced his illegal nighttime trial. He embraced the experience of being brutalized and killed. He embraced the fact that in all these things there was a purpose. What Jesus did was literally out of this world. What Jesus did was based on a different reality than the one humans embrace. Only in God's economy could defeat be victory. Only in the spiritual realms could this suffering bring succor. Jesus came to give us what we couldn't give ourselves. And to do this, he had to be crowned king with a crown of thorns. He embraced this fate without reservation, without grumbling, without fear. And now we see Jesus allowed his fate. Finally, John 19 verses 5 through 11 tell us this, that Jesus allowed his faith. His fate. Then Jesus came forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto him, Behold the man. When the chief priest therefore and saw, officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have 
power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Those in power thought they had Jesus right where they wanted him. The Romans had him in custody, so he was not a troublemaker anymore for them. He was contained. The Sanhedrin was going to kill him, and so he would be out of their hair. The disciples had been scattered to the winds, and so they could threaten neither the Romans nor the Jewish establishments. Satan had manipulated it all, or so he thought. In truth, uh, they had all been caught in Jesus' trap. In fact, Jesus was right where he wanted to be, with the same attitude that legendary Marine Louis Chesty Puller once expressed when he discovered that he was surrounded by the enemy. All right, he said, they're on our left, they're on our right, they're in front of us, they're in back of us. They can't get away this time. And that was Jesus' attitude too. You see, Jesus had come for this purpose. And in an example of spiritual jujitsu, he was using his enemy's own actions against them. Jesus was in control, not the Romans, not the Jews, nor Satan. He could have had armies of angels come release him, and he could have spoken and rained fire down on his captors. He did not, however, not because he couldn't, but because he wouldn't. He was right where he wanted to be. Why would Jesus knowingly, willingly, and determinedly inflict this trauma that he experienced on himself? Because he loves us and he wants to save us. Because he wants to give us righteousness and he wants to have a relationship with us. And because he wants to give us a relationship with God, that relationship that we need and that God deserves. As he said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I'm come that they may have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus embraced his fate on our behalf. Have you embraced what Jesus did for you? Don't you think you should? Does your life honor what Jesus did for you? Don't you think it should? Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon to comment on more scripture that we can consider together to help us in our everyday lives. Every blessing. I'm Dr. Otis Corbett.